Hey guys, this is Ronnie LeBlanc from Expedition Bigfoot. Join the BCC boys on their Patreon, The Other Side, as they unpack each and every episode of Season 2 of Expedition Bigfoot, airing exclusively on Discovery+. Plus. It's Bigfoot Collector's Club with Bryce and Michael. <laughs> I know a ghost story or two. Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club, the show where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal history and share stories of high strangeness. I'm your host, Michael McMillan. And here's your other host, Bryce Johnson. And super producer, <laughs> Riley Bray. <laughs> and this is Ronald LeBlanc. <laughs> coming, in hot, coming in hot, our guest's announcing himself. We're in, a, we're in a real BJ in the Shadow Bats mood this morning, everybody. So who knows? You might finally get a, a country song coming your way in the yeah. next few weeks. Yeah, working on a Bigfoot country song. I think it's going to be epic. <laughs> this... Uh, Mood strikes as well. Uh, hey, everybody. We have a guest, a returning guest today. I'm going to kick it over to Bryce to formally introduce him. This is a guy you all know and love. Bryce? Oh, great. Fantastic. Well, this will be off the cuff, but this guest is an author. He is a researcher, and he is a television team member on the incredible show Expedition Bigfoot. Uh, this guy is incredible. I love his work. Uh, please welcome to the show, Mr. Ronnie LeBlanc. Hey. Welcome back, Ronnie. Bryce. How's it going, man? (laughs) Great. Thanks for having me on again. This is awesome. Uh, Oh my God, dude. Thanks for being on. Yeah, we, uh, we want to get all the members of Expedition Team Bigfoot uh, on here and, and and start talking about this incredible season that we had. And uh, oh we're so God. happy that you uh, came over and joined us. Last time we spoke with Ronnie, we were getting dispatches from Monsterland, uh, an area <laughs> near where you live where there's lots of Bigfoot sightings and high strangeness. I think we got to get an update if there's any new activity happening in your neck of the woods, Ronnie. And yeah, we're going to talk about the show as well and what's happening, at least on the first three episodes of Expedition Bigfoot, even though uh, the fourth episode will have aired by the time our listeners are hearing this, we we're watching it tonight. So we haven't seen it yet. Mm. Um, So, but I think there's enough to get into already at the beginning of the season. Uh, But before we do that, Riley, get your button ready because Bryce and I both brought in some. That was, I felt like that was way off. It was right on time. We were step, stepping, stepping in sync on my end. Okay. Uh, Ronnie, I'm sure you've heard this story. A lot of people sent this to us. Uh, I got a lot of angry, uh, angry messages from listeners on Instagram DMs that said, fuck this guy. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) this is from the AP news just dropped a few days ago. Oklahoma lawmaker proposes Bigfoot hunting season. Oklahoma City, a mythical ape-like creature that has captured the imagination of adventurers for decades, has now become the target of a state lawmaker in Oklahoma. 
A Republican House member has introduced a bill that would create a Bigfoot hunting season. uh, Representative Justin Humphreys' district includes the heavily forested Owachita Mountains in southeast Oklahoma, where a Bigfoot festival is held each year near the Arkansas border. He says issuing a rare, or excuse me, he says issuing a state hunting license and tag could help boost tourism. Establishing an actual hunting season and issuing licenses for people who want to hunt Bigfoot will just draw more people to our already beautiful part of the state, Humphrey said in a statement. (laughs) Humphrey says his bill would only allow trapping and that he also hopes to secure a $25,000 bounty to be offered. That's it? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's a little wild. Um, Michael Holmes, a spokesperson <laughs> for the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation, which oversees hunting in Oklahoma, told television station KOCO that the agency uses science-driven research and doesn't recognize Bigfoot. So a little insult to injury there at the end of the uh, article. But, I, I, you know, Ronnie, I think we got to get your impression first. What do you think about this? Okay, so first thing I would say that Doing this, it brings the subject matter to the general public, which is always, I think, a good thing. And the fact that this guy wants to do hunting season around it, they believe that exists. That's a positive. Obviously, we don't want people going out there killing them. uh, But I do feel that we need a body at some point uh, to really get the scientific community to kind of pay attention to all this. Uh, but then also I feel that the um, the big piece is the fact that <laughs> I think this guy just wants to be an expedition Bigfoot. That's it. <laughs> it does seem like one of those like uh, like those bills that you introduced just to get some press. I got an idea for you, Jim. Now hear me out. But yeah, it's a ridiculous. There's there's so much to unpack right there. Uh I think tourism, uh, I think that's the key word here. It's to boost tourism, help support their festival. Um, You know, I don't like the idea of a Bigfoot being killed. I also don't like the idea of a Bigfoot being King Konged. I don't want one captured. And then what are we going to do? Put him on Broadway? Come on. You know, he's going to be poked at by scientists. I don't like it. Leave him in the woods where he belongs. I would like to see him. I'd like, I would love for you guys to find him and shake hands. But I, but I think we, I think we have to, we have to leave him alone. Yeah, so more like focus on document and prove rather yes. than uh, capture and uh, exploit. Yes. Yeah, well, look, there's a lot to unpack here, right? I mean, first you have to ask yourself, can you even get a, a flesh and blood uh, Bigfoot mm-hmm. body onto a lab table? I mean, there's a lot of unknowns there. So I don't know. Uh, that article didn't worry me too much. I hope it didn't worry Bigfoot. <laughs> Bigfoot don't care. <laughs> Um, I'll, well, let me jump into mine. So this, this, this news article caught my attention pretty good. Um, this is reporting out of the New York Times. Can Robert Bigelow and the rest of us survive death? He's offering nearly $1 million if you help him figure it out. Um, I don't think I need to tell you guys uh, who Robert Bigelow is. We've discussed him much in the past. He's the former owner of uh, the infamous Skinwalker Ranch, uh, as well as... Um, the owner of Bigelow Aerospace, which is, uh, you know, a huge co- private company that's 
housing possible uh, metamaterials and providing space labs for NASA. He's anyway, weird Tony Stark. Yeah, he's right? basically <laughs> weird Tony Stark. And he's had an interest in, in, in UFOs uh, since he was a child uh, when, when something happened to him. But this is by Ralph Blumenthal. He's one of the trio that, uh, that wrote that New York Times article in December sure. of 2017 that blew up. Uh, but it goes on to say that he's offering nearly $1 million in prizes for the best evidence for the survival of consciousness after permanent bodily death. Um, Mr. Bigelow believes I am personally totally convinced of it, he said. A daunting quest, perhaps fringe to some, but the shaggy maned and mustache entrepreneur, the sole owner of Bigelow <laughs> Aerospace and Budget Suites of America, is not easily put off. <laughs> what? What? I just like that he's also the, uh, like, out of everything you listed, he's also the owner of Budget Suites. Yeah. That's a, that's a new detail. <laughs> he is a mini layered onion. Yeah, totally. His aerospace ventures have been financed by his Budget Suites business, one of the first extended stay rental change, now housing some 15,000 people in three states. The profits have enabled him, he says, to sink more than $350 million into Bigelow Aerospace, my own real black hole, as he put it. Um, Mr. Let's, I'm going to move through this article. It's quite extensive. I, I recommend you guys Google it and, and read it. But uh, last I'll June, throw it up in the links. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Uh, uh, last June, four months after bone marrow disease and leukemia claimed the life of his wife, Diane Bigelow at 72, Mr. Bigelow quietly funded the Bigelow Institute for Consciousness Studies to support research into what happens after death. And it goes on to say that, oh, here we go. Uh, it set the stage for his new afterlife contest, seeking the best available evidence of survival consciousness, of consciousness, with prizes of 500000 300000 and 150000 for first, second, and third place. And uh, I just think that's fascinating. Here he is trying to like, you know, he's really just trying to amass a collection of uh, of evidence that says, and, and you know, it brought into my mind, it's like, how can you prove the survival of consciousness, you know, I mean, how would you actually do that? Um, it, it, it's also like makes me think of the Bigfoot thing. You know, if Bigfoot <laughs> is more than a flesh and blood creature, how are you going to be able to prove the existence of Bigfoot? I was, we'll was going to say a lot, lots of contests here. You know, it's like yeah. Representative Humphrey and Bigelow are like turning into like weird Batman villains. You know, know. they're like, <laughs> oh, my God, putting bounties on the head of like ghosts and Bigfoot. I'm bouncing all over the the place here, um, but I'm going to keep doing that because <laughs> well, why not? Uh, in 1995, Mr. Bigelow founded the National Institute of Discovery Science to study paranormal phenomena, paying only 200000 for the following year for the 480-acre Skinwalker Ranch, nicknamed for its shape-shifting witches in Navajo legend. Um, let me see. Uh, <clears throat> oh, yeah. So the Mr. Bigelow's investigative team, headed by Colm Kelleher, the Institute scientific administrator and biochemist documented their own paranormal events. Um, uh, according to 2005 book hunt for the skinwalker by Dr. Kelleher and George Knapp. Now this is a picture I sent you on one occasion, Ronnie, they write investigators peering through night vision goggles, watched an expanding tunnel of light, disgorge a large hominoid creature that then walked away and disappeared. Hmm. A sudden fissure in the sky seemed to open a vista onto another dimension. Uh, and it goes on to say all the other strange shit. But, and I, I texted you guys that picture. We'll put it up in the show link uh, and notes. But this to It'll me be in the is Instagram. Like the one photographic evidence that Bigfoot comes out of portals. I mean, what do you think of that photo? Uh, <clears throat> the photo is in really incredible. You know, it's, it's a little blurry in the sense that you can't see a lot of detail, but you see something that is 
what looks like a portal, like kind of opening up. And um, I think of uh, Dr. Matthew Johnson, uh, who talked about, I think he was with, um, God, he's skipping my name now. Uh, his name's escaping me now, but um, they witnessed a, a portal opening up. Yeah. Um, and creatures kind of guarding this, this place and, and, there's been reports of Bigfoot walking out of portals. And, and so I think there's something to this. I feel like um, maybe not all of the Bigfoot out there are interdimensional, some nature. I feel like some are a little bit more advanced than others, but Mm. this, it fits that, that answer that people are looking for in the sense of like, why there's no body, why, why can't we find bones? And then why these footprints just kind of fade off. Right. And just, seem to disappear in an open field like something just took them off uh, with, well, and with I'm, a ship, you know? Totally. I mean, man, I butchered that news. I mean, what a terrible <laughs> <laughs> newsman I am. I start with one and move right into paranormal uh, to portal uh, opening Bigfoots. But let, let's, <laughs> let's, let's go back a little bit. I mean, do you guys think it's possible to, to prove the existence of, of consciousness survival after death? Um, you know, or is this sort of a, you know, a quest that he's just, you know, impossible. Well, I know that, um, you know, Edgar Mitchell was focused on the same subject matter. You look at Leslie Keene, who was focusing on the UFO subject with her book. And now her. Yeah, she wrote that book, Surviving Death. And and, exactly. and she's one of the three judges of the con- of Mr. Bigelow's contest. So I think that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that they're they're leaning there right into that that place I think that is hinting at the UFO subject that it has something to do with our souls, with consciousness, consciousness with dimensions. Yeah. dimensions. Um, but I do, I remember there was a study that they had done, I remember this, where they, this was years ago, they had measured, uh, you know, the body at the, pul- at the moment of death, and they, they saw a, a very slight uh, decrease in weight when that person took their last breath and almost like the like the soul had left 21 right. grams 21 grams there right yeah that's that movie go. yeah and so the other the other piece of that is we don't we think that consciousness is this thing that's kind of inside of our brain kind of stuck inside the skull but it's really like this this circle of energy that kind of encompasses all of us and it intersects when we come into close contact with other people and we can use this to you know, remote view and everything else. So just like energy, I don't think it ever, it ever really dies. It comes back in nature's form recycles in some way. And, you know, maybe we come back not as humans, but as animals or something else within this, this whole um, universe. But, you know, I, what we've been able to figure out, I think so far, we're starting to realize that what we thought was real and true 20, 30 hundred years ago is not the case, right? Yeah. So quantum, quantum physics, quantum mechanics is kind of changing that. And so I think that maybe we will discover some more things and consciousness definitely seems to be that next frontier. I completely agree. I look, I think, and this is a pretty big statement. I think it's going to come down to consciousness. I think consciousness is going to be the key to understanding the UFO UAP phenomenon and possibly even the Bigfoot phenomenon as well. Yeah. Um, I think this is the big, I mean, this is the big kahuna, right? This is what we don't understand um, that's allowing us to to see these things as individuals or as groups or societies. And, you know, I, I, I think, 
you know, consciousness is at play. And this is, this is what's shifting us into, and I know this sounds so new agey, but, you know, possibly moving us into these other dimensions where we have these strange experiences, you know, Mm -hmm. that's if they're not these, you know, extraterrestrials, little, little gray men from, uh, you know, Zeta Reticuli flying in tin cans. I think it's something more is taking place with our, with our own consciousness. Uh, and that's the big so. question, right? Does is it mind before matter or matter before mind? In other words, is mm. it our brain that produces consciousness, or was consciousness here before and it produces the the physical world that we see? Yeah, I mean, um, there I, there was some again another study where they it's like the brain had shut down, uh, and it might be that the latest uh, Netflix documentary talking about how there was no brain activity; she was literally brain dead. But yet her consciousness, she was, she could still see what was happening to her uh, below. And so I think it kind of, maybe it's, it's kind of a, a, I look at it, look at consciousness as almost driving a car and where the vehicle and decides to kind of exit and go to another car, or drive around somewhere else. Mm. You know? Yeah, it's wild. Did you guys ever hear about those above the shelf experiments that that sometimes they do in uh, in trauma rooms and hospitals? Uh, so they'll put like maybe a letter and a number on a top shelf that you could only see from above mm, because cool. people oftentimes report leaving their body and, and watching the surgery, watching the doctors and the you know and the and the trauma physicians trying to. Uh, bring them back to life and they'll be watching this whole thing and they have a vision of it from above. Uh, So some, some doctors, some surgeons have, you know, gone out on a limb and put like, uh, like letters and numbers or things on this top shelf that you could only see from above so that when they reenter their body, you know, and they say, I left my body and they'll be like, well, did you see what was on the top shelf? And uh, that's an interesting experiment. Um, Has, well, what was the outcome? Did anyone see it? Yes, yes, multiple times. Yes, I think this was, uh, I think this was in Leslie Keen's book uh, where she wow. talked a little bit about that. But it's incredible. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's cool. That's a great experiment. It's a great it's idea. Simple. Did you see what I uh, what I wrote on the shelf while you were having a near death experience? <laughs> <laughs> LOL. I put LOL yeah. hashtag LOL up there. Just it's to- just a picture of a dick, you know. We like to keep it fun here in the trauma room. Just trying to keep it light. You know, it's an experiment, but it can be fun. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, this is all mind blowing. I don't know how they're going to do it, but I love Ooh. you know the the sad, rich, fascinating man who's grieving for his wife and like putting up a you know like a Mister Freeze level like experiment. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. It's great. It's fascinating. I'm really, I'm really sad. You know, when when he finally passes one day, hopefully a long time from now, that like who's going to take Bigelow's place? I know. You know what I mean? I know. Yeah. We need more rich eccentric weirdos. Yeah. Elon you know, Musk. You know, oh, yeah. Elon will get weird with it with the brain mesh oh, yeah. and all that, you know? Yeah, so. true. Well, let's get into uh, what Ronnie's been up to lately. I want to I want to talk yeah. about what updates you have from Monsterland. And then, as we mentioned, we want to get into the first part of Expedition Bigfoot, because I have some questions for both you and Bryce that I want to sure. I want to get to. OK, great. Yeah. And then, Michael, you're saying we can't we can't veer into episode four because there's some stuff I want to do. We, we can. We I was just the listeners will have known episode have watched episode four by now. OK, uh, great. it's great. out by the time this episode episode drops but uh i was just letting them know the day that we're recording this is sunday so we're not going to see it until tonight but i, I don't care about spoilers so great um, great you guys are yeah. allowed to talk about uh, about episode four cool. even though okay. we haven't physically seen it yet good good because right. there's some stuff i want to bring up great. yeah 
So, right Ronnie, on, right? what's been going on in Monsterland? Give us a reminder for new listeners sure. uh, yeah. what Monsterland is and what 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 you've been up to. Sure. So there's a section of uh, central Massachusetts within Lemonster, Mass, and, and some of the surrounding towns called Monsterland. It, it was dubbed by the locals back in the 50s. Uh, a gentleman spotted a Bigfoot-like creature and went back to um, investigate this and disappeared. Police were called. And this guy apparently vanished. And the legend kind of goes on from there. And people had seen UFOs, strange balls of light. And so it's really this this strange place, and I, I do feel there is some kind of a portal or something in the Lemonster State Forest uh, because there's just so much activity and it's been going on for a long time. Uh, I have recently been talking to a, a family who they want to be kept anonymous at this point in time, but I'm trying to encourage them to come forward uh, because their experiences are freaking crazy, incredible. And the whole family from the mom to the, the son, uh, his his uh, wife have had experiences. I've I recently was over there a couple of months ago and spent time with the family, and they live right in the outskirts of Lemonster State Forest. And now that I think about it, Bryce, when I look back and, and spent some time in their in their backyard in the woods, it reminded me a lot of Kentucky mm. and how it was all these uh, little ravines and ridge lines and just like there's a creek running through just really interesting layout and, and setup. But so the they've been having the mom had seen a Bigfoot, uh the and had some strange experiences along that. She also had had one kind of peer and peek into her bedroom window, which is a, like eight feet over the above the ground. Wow. Um the son and the the wife had seen uh a white Bigfoot in the middle of I think one or two in the morning during the middle of a snowstorm as they were clearing out the driveway wow. and outside. And this thing screamed and hollered and they were like, what the hell? And they heard another one from the other side. And, and I can't, still, I just can't believe this stuff's kind of going on right in my backyard, but I spent about six hours with them uh, interviewing them and just trying to get their trust. And, and they have, uh, admitted to me that all their all of their neighbors have had similar experiences and sightings of UFOs, um, Bigfoot creatures, and, and that and the the night that I I was there that I left, they had a UFO sighting in the backyard. No way. Yeah. What kind, how like, close? How close was uh, the like close enough that they it was like above like above their house in a sense that it was just like so obvious that it was the sun was actually interacting with it. Um, and here's the other interesting aspect. He's been interacting and I hope they don't kill me by sharing this, but he's been interacting with crows in his backyard that come and hang out and they're like talking to him and he walks in the woods, they follow him. Oh my God. Um, Right, like me and squirrels. I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. Well, so my, he's yeah. had this, he's had this connection in nature <laughs> since he was a baby, and there was a time when he, I guess, uh, was out in the woods. They grew up in the Blue Mountains, and um, moved here, you know, a decade or more ago. But had was out in the woods and had a baby deer. They were laying down. I don't know if they're hunting or what, but a baby deer like literally walked over and walked and like stood on his back. And the, the 
you know, the parents are just mystified. He's always had this connection. Oh, yeah. Not so, normal deer behavior. No. <laughs> or so, boy um, behavior. Or child <laughs> behavior. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I just think their story is really important, and it's and it's been happening. Like, it's recent, and I'm trying to get the neighbors to come forward and have them kind of share their story because this activity just continues to go on, and, and this has been happening prior to uh, they read uh, – mom had read my book. And then reached out to me, and then that's how we kind of started. What about See, poltergeist activity? Mm, good question. Uh, yes, uh, some you know, like shadow people kind of stuff. I know there's some other there's there's some other connections to to this family that I can't get into, but that kind of tie into uh, the dimensional aspect and all this stuff. So there's definitely. <laughs> It's definitely a lot of stuff that's been happening that people report uh, once they've had this Bigfoot experience or sighting, they're seeing shadow people, they're having paranormal experiences, they're seeing balls of light, and this just ties back into that whole, is this flesh and blood or are we dealing with something else? Because I do feel it's pointing that way. This is what's so fascinating and frustrating about these mm -hmm. uh, sort of habituation sites. And, and I think they're called that for a reason because it's like it'll be like one specific family that's just like having this interaction with these creatures and, and, uh, and other sort of crazy things as well. Yeah. And and they're like it happens all the time. Like I'm I mean, Bigfoot's out in my backyard every day. And then they'll invite like a researcher onto the property, you know, and then, you know, the activity sort of stops or that researcher can't find really any confirmation on his own. Uh you, you, which is crazy. It's almost like that sort of UFO phenomenon, right? Where it happens to yeah. like one individual and uh and it's for that individual, you know, it's hey. meant for that person or that family. And when somebody else comes to to check it out and say, hey, I want to see this thing, you know, it, it, the activity stops, it ceases. And well, it was it was actually the opposite with this, which was weird, is I get a note like the next day, like, you know, what have you done? <laughs> oh, like, wow. I was like, what? Because when it since I went to go see them, the activity kind of like spiked and went. Like they had a UFO sighting that night. They had, I'm like, that's uh, wild. Sorry, <laughs> that's but it, you, man. I feel like I feel I, like you. I've told you this before. I feel I like you're like a you're you're almost like I, a generator of, of of high strangeness. You know, and, what and makes you say that, Bryce? Well, just in reading Ronnie's books, Monsterland, he talks about you know sort of the experiences he's had. Uh, you know, himself with his family and. And uh, I don't know. I just had a feeling that when when Ronnie joined the Expedition Bigfoot team, it was such an integral uh, key that we were missing, an integral piece. And when Ronnie got there, strange shit started happening, you oh, know, and, and like balls of light and 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 stuff, and you know, just that that high strangeness stuff that gets associated with with right. Bigfoot. And so sometimes I think, you know, this stuff needs a a, a good receiver. You know, like it's like to, like Ronnie's almost like a radio station, like a very antique radio station that can pick up just on the right frequency or, and allow this high strangeness to come through. Or it's know? like one of those like Wi-Fi boosters you put in your house yes. to help boost your your signal or your cell your AT and T cell signal. You know, yeah, what I mean? exactly. So everybody can exactly. use it, but we just need we need a booster around. Ronnie's well, a booster, man. Well, it's interesting because I did I did have like some strange like UFO things happened to me when I was younger 
And a lot of people that have had UFO experiences feel like they have some kind of implants. Wow. They have something in them that's actually generating or is getting picked up by other, you know, like. Oh, I never thought of it uh, like that. That's I, interesting. And I, yeah, like uh, Mark D'Antonio, who's um, a friend of mine, he is the head of uh, MUFON's, uh, all the video and any kind of pictures that come through, he's kind of like that that gate to make sure, all right, this is legit or this isn't. Um, and he's had crazy experiences. He, he works with the Navy, does some classified stuff here and there, but he talks about being uh, abducted, finding uh, an implant in his nasal cavity, having... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, dreams of these great aliens and all these different things. And, and uh, he's, he's been tied into this thing from the get go. And I think that's why some people are so obsessed with the subject and they can't seem to get away from it because either that's their life purpose or there is something else that's kind of like attaching themselves to these people that is keeping them in this lane. You know, I have a cyst on my thigh. That's very questionable. <laughs> oh boy, Bryce, let's get that looked at. It's, it sounds demonic. <laughs> uh, uh ronnie have you ever gotten x-rays or gotten yourself checked out no see if there's i haven't anything and, and up there <laughs> meaning I, your nose I or <laughs> i haven't but um you know I, i've always been fascinated by like dr roger weir's work i was and, just gonna mention yeah yeah his and that's where i was like man and the fact that these things um you know are using our bioelectricity to power themselves to be, to be their their batteries, their power source, yeah. and that they are emitting some kind of an RF frequency as a signal. You know, for uh, those who don't know, uh, and we've we've done a story of high strangeness on Dr. Roger Lear before, but he was a podiatrist, a foot doctor, uh, right here in Southern California, who <clears throat> had an interest in UFOs. And at a conference, somebody walked up to him and said, hey, you know, I have this, what I believe is an implant. Do you think you could look at it? And he's like, well, the least I could do is x-ray it. And he did, and he found something. He found something anomalous, and uh, and he's and he sent it off to labs, and it had a, a lot of isotopic anomalies. Anyway, the guy ended up doing seventeen different surgeries of nice. people who had purported implants. Uh, Jeremy Corbell, friend of the show, did a great documentary on it called Patient Seventeen. I highly recommend. And uh, and then you know, as high strangeness goes, of course, he was also involved in that fucking incredible ufo video out of turkey where it was uh, mm. outside of a ufo conference and he was right there and uh, i think it was over the strait of gibraltar and they zoom in they had this fucking video camera that had like a thousand times zoom uh, michael and riley this is the one where it's like you could see the aliens flying yeah. the yes. ship yes and right, it's, yeah. it's, it's so good you go this can't be real can't you know? be but then it's like you know it was a it was a recurring sighting that happened every time around that year and uh you know it went in a flap it like was happening for three but anyway that that was mm -hmm. roger lear so yeah there's something to those the idea uh of of these implants which 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 takes it back to extraterrestrial doesn't it like some right. sort of higher yeah. intelligent species like because we do it to animals right we'll pull an animal exactly. we'll tag them we'll set them back in their environment and we'll and we'll monitor them and we'll pick them back up again and you know and it and this this is a process that you know happens throughout uh that particular animal's life why you, why you know what else, so different what else we do and we don't think of this and the cia has been doing this since the 60s is taking like a freaking fish, a robotic fish, right? That looks like a fish swimming in a lake, but it's actually filming, it's collecting audio. I mean, 
Why wow, couldn't right. an extra, extraterrestrial place a Bigfoot in the woods and, and, or a deer or these other animals that are, can be the same kind of these little data collection sources that we think is an animal just running by, but it's actually something else. <laughs> or Riley, you gotta love that. Bigfoot is a sound recorder. <laughs> I, I do. You know I do. <laughs> the Sasquatch sound recorder. Nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, or people. What about humans that are actually just data probes? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, Aren't there's there's an interesting story uh, in the beginning of uh, Massachusetts being a colony, and a guy describes. <laughs> Being in the woods and these two strange, uh, pale-looking beings, uh, described almost being like Nordics, uh, with strange-looking, tight-fitting suits, were running through the woods and asking, you know, like, just seemed out of place, like out of time. So you never know, like, these, what, what could be out there? And, and people, I feel like. Whoa. Some people yeah. are zombies, and you got to wonder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, Ronnie, I mean, it makes me and I wanted to ask you this. And and this is partly why I loved bringing up that article, you know, Robert Bigelow looking for proof of the afterlife of the survival of consciousness. And it reminded me of like ghost hunter shows, like looking for proof of ghosts. Mm -hmm. If Bigfoot is not flesh and blood, are we just going to be chasing around his, you know, uh, after effect evidence or how close can we get to proving that Bigfoot is real if this is a a supernatural entity? And, you know, that's a good question. And one thing I never really kind of thought of is that, you know, there are people, right? And we also see ghosts of people. So there are Bigfoot, and why couldn't there also be ghosts of Bigfoot that people might see, Mm. right? So I I don't know. I feel like it is, like, it it seems to be, I've always been fascinated with the Bigfoot subject because it seemed to be tied to UFOs in such a way that it mirrors that secrecy. Right, yeah. that they're uh, they don't want to talk about it. We feel like they they know certain things. There's been reports of uh, military officers watching Bigfoot with starlight scopes and, and being told not to engage, but just yeah, Edwards Air Force the Base. base. What? Exactly, walk through the base. They're going to show up. They know they're coming in and where they're coming from and how they're. And I think that that's freaking you know portals. I don't well, know. and and these Bigfoot sort of match this like hypothetical prime directive, like not to interfere with the human species, yes. right? We hear about yes. that with with UFOs and extraterrestrials. You know, don't interfere. We'll screw mm-hmm. things up. And it's like Bigfoot sort of almost has that same directive. You know, don't right. get too Casually involved. Walking away. Right? Yes, right. right, totally. And but on occasion they do fuck with you. You know, and that happens mm-hmm. in the UFO world as well. And. And, you know, you'll hear the rare case in Bigfoot, too, like, you know, Ape Canyon where shit goes crazy. But, um, yeah, it just makes me it just makes me think, you know, and I know we all read that book where the footprint ends and the idea that this being like a wilderness, a wilderness poltergeist. It's like sometimes I ask myself, like, are we chasing a ghost here? You know, Mm -hmm. and if we are, how do we get ahead of this thing and and fucking, you know, capture this ghost. You know? Well, I think you've led us straight into Expedition Bigfoot territory with that question, Bryce. And, and you know, watching the first few episodes of the season, I kind of feel that way. I feel like you guys are getting way more. I don't know how it feels on your end, but it feels as a as a viewer 
we're getting way more activity in the front end of the season than we did in um, season one. Oh right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is interesting because you're in a completely different location. You're in Southeast Kentucky in the mountains. Um, but how much of this Ronnie and Bryce, I want to hear your thoughts. Um, chime in, please. How much of it feels like you are chasing a ghost out there in the woods? A, a lot of it, honestly, because it feels like, you know, it's just out of sight. It's just out of reach, but you know, something's with you. You know, you're not alone in the woods and it's, it's fucking scary at times because, you know, we, we can't see sometimes six feet in front of our face mm. and we're just kind of walking blindly down this trail. Um, or we're, you know, entering an area that we might've seen a glimpse of in the day. And now you're in the thick of it and you're everything you can get turned around so freaking quickly there. Um, but I just felt like we had something just out. They are so good that they're like freaking ninjas that yeah. I can't. I'm telling you, like you start walking and you're like, there's something walking alongside of me, like as I'm stepping and, and just following that same sounds. Mm. And you could sense something else with you there. And that's what you have to listen to. Like you may not be able to see with your eyes or hear exactly what's making, but uh, you can start to sense that. And then things start to kind of come into play. And um, yeah, man, it's, it, it just, it gets a little frustrating because I, I think that's where the technology piece, I mean, look at ghost hunters there. That's what's really kind of brought them to that next level is having this, this tech, which allows them to see, um, you know, using thermal imagery and all this. I mean, that's what we, that's really aiding us and guiding us to this thing, but it definitely seems like there's times where we're just chasing a, a Right. But I don't want to get to like the point where it's like, there's like a little like weird box that we're using that just goes, beep. Yeah. Uh-oh, Bigfoot's right. here. Beep. Exactly. You know, yeah, it's yeah, like, exactly. I, no, no. Yeah. Bryce throwing some shade at the ghost hunting No, no, community. no, not at all. I've been watching <laughs> no, a lot. Of, yeah. I've been watching a lot of ghost hunting shows just to see <laughs> the <laughs> techniques they're using because, right. you know, I really want to take all that information in. Michael, there's a moment that Ronnie was, you know, we're talking about being elusive and just like a ninja. There's a moment it's coming up in one of the next few episodes with Ronnie. Mar- It'll fucking blow your mind. It was well, such an exciting moment. Okay. But- I can't wait because, uh, you know, the question I've been dying to ask Ronnie is about a moment in towards the end of episode two and into the beginning of episode three, which is after Russell plays that Bigfoot call mm. that Bryce captured, right? Yeah. And you and Maria are down in the holler and mm-hmm. you suddenly hear these sounds coming back. Now, this is one of those things that even as a guy who co-hosts a Bigfoot show, you know, the the some of the results that you guys are getting on the show so far are so strong, in my opinion, that, you know, there is that part of me that goes, this can't be fucking happening. You know, know? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I like know. how, exactly. you know, yeah. and, and, you know, I, that, that skeptic, side of you kicks in and you're like but i know bryce and i know you know what i mean i've i've at yeah. least met ronnie over the over the podcast so talk about that moment where you and maria hear these sounds and then you are literally going there's one here mm-hmm. here and here i guess what did those sounds sound like in person and then okay. how did you get the sense that you were surrounded by two or three of these 
whatever these creatures are. Sure. Okay. So I had an experience less than a year prior to this that if I didn't have that experience, I wouldn't have been so into in tune to what was happening. Wow. But I was in Salt Fork State Park, Ohio with Maddie Blake, my co-host with the podcast, uh, Dr. Rebecca Foster, who's a clairvoyant medium, and Jeff Byers, who owns uh, Creature Replica. Are you moonlighting on other expeditions, Ronnie? Uh, maybe. maybe. <laughs> that sounds like a whole other expedition. What the fuck? We, we, <laughs> we, we went to go to – it was Bob Gimlin's birthday, and we went to a conference, and we were uh, right outside the conference center at like 1 in the morning, and we start walking out towards the, to the vehicles, and we had uh, cabins up on the other part of uh, the park. And I noticed this orange ball of light kind of dancing around in the woods. I was like, guys, of course we, you did. We, got, we got something <laughs> over here. So we head over to the tree line, and then this ball of light splits into two. It becomes two eyes that are eight feet off the ground, glowing and staring back at us. And the clairvoyant medium, medium is right next to me, and she's like, that's that's a Bigfoot. And she's like, it's showing me its face. And we could... We could, and I was like, what do you mean? Like, it's showing its face. Like, there, and she goes, and there's another one to the left of us, and we had shut all of our flashlights off. And Jeff Byers has been in this situation several times before in Ohio as well as Pennsylvania uh, with a couple of researchers. And he called it out like, this is what's going to happen next. This one's going to come over to the right, and it's gonna, they're going to surround us and circle us, and they're going to try to push us out of here. Mm. And instantly when we're in that spot with Maria, I was like, fuck, they're doing it. It's happening again. And wow. like, and I'm like, this is what's happening. They're starting to twist us up. And sure enough, they, they pushed us out of there. And what's amazing is like, if I was by myself and explaining it to somebody else, like this just happened, people, okay, whatever. But then when you have Dr. Maria experiencing it with me, we're there together and this shit's going on. And she's like, what is happening? You know, like it's intense. And, and, and you're right. The activity and people don't, I think, understand how much shit is happening to us out there. Like it seems almost instantaneous that we kind of go like, you know, the, the camera guy, they're all kind of going, what the fuck is that? Like, what is happening? Dude, <laughs> let me like, speak on that for one know, second. I want a show about the camera, a second show that follows and the cameraman just, following you. Yeah. Well, you, well, I, I feel like in this season, you, that, oh, sense that feeling that I get uh, when it's happening, that a normal animal wouldn't necessarily do this. They're going to smell us. They're going to get the hell out of there. They're going to, there's too much noise. They're going to, they're going to kind of move, you know what I mean? And so I wasn't really frightened at that moment that we're running into, say, a bear or a mountain lion. Um, but I definitely felt I felt like I was right back in Ohio again, and that, that was happening again. That's incredible. Yeah. It was just, just, you could just sense it. You just felt like there's, there's more than one of them here, and they accomplished what they wanted to. They, they spun us around we, right back to where we started as we're trying to go down into this this holler. Wow. So it was just freaking mind blowing and wild that like just what transpired, like how the hell did that just happen? 
God, that's incredible. I mean, and just to like go off what Ronnie was saying about the tremendous amount of activity. I remember, you know, when we started season two, I was like, man, season one was so incredible. There was so much evidence and activity. How much, how are we going to be able to to top that? And I hope we can. And, but I feel like this season had twice, if not three times the amount of activity uh, that took place in season one. So yeah, there was so much going on. Uh, Michael, I know you had a, I know you've become sort of fascinated with uh, the relationship of, of, with Ronnie and Maria. Yes. I mean, they're, 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 they're so well juxtaposed well, against each other. We, so we've been recapping every episode over on the other side, uh, yeah. on our Patreon. And, you know, I'm, I, first of all, I, I love, you know, I'm a lifelong X-Files fan and I really feel like you guys are emerging as the Mulder and Scully because (laughs) she's, you know, she's coming at it from the primatologist point of view. And there's this brilliant moment where you charged ahead to, you you know, to be like, I know there's one over this ridge. I got to go see it. And she ends up yelling at you, (laughs) scolding you (laughs) for it, which is great. You know, I'm like, I like that these personalities are coming out on the show and it's really fascinating because I see your point of view and I also see her point of view. So what is it like? And obviously, you know, you guys were even joking about it on Twitter. So I feel like you guys get along. But what is oh, yeah. it? How is it? A, you know, what's it like to adjust to uh, or or isn't it a, a, an adjustment to bringing the dynamic that you have, which you call on the show unorthodox uh, to working with somebody who's coming from a very uh, scientific uh, point of view. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're both there with the same goal in mind, right? We want to be a part of uh, bringing this thing to life and, and showing people that they do indeed exist. Uh, but we do butt heads um, from time to time on things. And I think there was a few things that were kind of leading up to this point that I think she was kind of like, all right, that's enough. Like, right. But for me, being in that situation and having been on the other side, right, like just watching from my couch and going, oh, why are they Why are they running away from this thing? Or let's get out of here. Why aren't they charging forward? Why aren't they, mm. you know? And so just like that moment, like this is your chance to kind of like have that sighting that visual i've been close i've had seen some weird shit but i felt like there was something right there and i'm i'm gonna do it and it was like maria wasn't there it was just me and this thing Mm -hmm. and to me and this is another reason why i did it i feel like they aren't these animals that we think they are i feel like they are intelligent they have some abilities that we don't understand and i do feel like they can read my intentions my heart my mind they're not going to harm me Mm. so that's another reason why i have the freaking balls to do that because you know if that is the case and if i'm wrong all right but i'm not going to miss that opportunity to have that sighting or that experience and then show you know if i'm in that moment again i would do it again well, that was my I'm next question. <laughs> yeah, that was my next question is like, you know, aside from, you know, just from your own point of view, do you feel like did did a part of you go, OK, maybe charging, you know, or maybe rushing towards it isn't actually the way I'm going to get it to interact with me the way that I want it to? No, mine was I didn't I didn't run fast enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome. Awesome. You know, because awesome. it, 
it, because to me, it's like, I want to see something running off. At least right. we can get that. Something's going to yeah, leave right. an impression or, or footprints. Uh, or, you know, like here we are, we, we have our cameras, we have this, this is the time to do it. But I do understand, I do get her point that if it wasn't, if it was a mountain lion or a bear, then I could have easily gotten injured. She could have gotten injured, you know. Right. But to me, I feel like if that was something other than Bigfoot, it's not sticking around. It's freaking taking off. No, so that, that was this thing is, <laughs> no yeah, fucking doubt about it. I, and that was my thing too. And and the fact that nothing was there too, again, it goes to this thing. How's this thing freaking just vanish? You know, to speak to that point of like you wanting to see with your own eyes, Bigfoot, just to clarify, all four of us have never actually seen Bigfoot. We've gotten pretty right. close, but I was thinking about the goals of, of our team and what, what I personally would like for all of us to accomplish. And I think I've come away with uh, when this thing is all said and done, I would like each and every one of us to have seen with our own eyes and hopefully mm-hmm. God willing with our cameras as well, a Bigfoot. Yeah. A hundred percent. I would love that for everybody. And I would love that um, we're a part of helping to bring this thing to light with the evidence we're collecting. You know, people look at it, you know, look at what, the amount of evidence we collected just in season one, that first expedition, was more than some shows had done in their entire existence. And I, and it's like, we are, you know, this is an expedition, a research uh, team, like first, show second, because that's like everything, things shift uh, all the times, mm. all the time, depending on what, what's happening and what we uncovered the night before. It's like, oh, we're doing this now because, you know, uh, we're just following where all of those uh, clues and, the, and things are popping up our way. We'll just follow that. Keep on going. Yeah. It's been nonstop. I personally love when, when, when you could see in Dr. Maria's eyes, like, you know, and it happens a few times in the season, yeah. like what the fuck is happening? This oh, is yeah. not real. What is going on? You know? And there's a definitely oh, yeah. a few moments like that where where and, and I think this is what makes it so great. She's butting head up against her own belief system of, 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 of what could be real, you know, I know, I know she's sort of, yeah. And us too. Yeah. What? So speaking of, uh, evidence and surprises, uh, I know, uh, they're, they teased last week, uh, teased for episode four that you guys find some sort of hand. Yeah. Yeah. There's a hand and, uh, you know, we won't give too much away about that. Well, I think it's aired in episode four, so maybe, right? Is it? Yeah. 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 So our listeners have seen that episode, even though we haven't. So what's going on there? Well, basically, uh, oh, I heard a click. Can everybody hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, so basically, uh, somebody reached out to us, uh, uh, me particularly in an email and basically was like, you know, uh, there's been a lot of activity around here and I recently found my dogs were out hunting uh, and they brought this back and it Jeez. looks like a fucking, it, it's a hairy hand and it has uh, what looks like claws. And um, what? I mean, just off the bat, you're like, okay, I, the first thing you're thinking of is boom, we've got what we need, right? Because I think people often forget all it takes is one bone. Mm-hmm. One bone 
right. to put this mystery to bed. I mean, Homo floresiensis was discovered by a, a, a tooth that they found in a cave. You know, that that confirmed the species, the existence of that species. So all it takes is is one tooth, one bone. and But how about a fucking hand, right? <laughs> um, you know, I don't want to – for those who haven't seen it, I don't want to give too much away about it. But uh, – yeah, it was it was it led to some pretty interesting uh investigatings into what was that, where did it come from, and does he still have it? <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. But I you know, if if you've seen episode four, I spoiler alert everybody who's listening, but I want to talk about that fucking tree structure. Oh, um awesome. I mean this is like this is the shit that doesn't it just it looks and feels witchy, doesn't it, Ronnie? It, I mean, it, oh, like I, when, when you guys found that thing, I think your words were freaking jackpot, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And it and was. Like, it was, was like, like, this is awesome. Yeah, because I, now I you're like down that. to two things. Now you're down to two things. You're done with bears. You're done with cougars. You're done with, what was that making that noise in the woods? You're down with, okay, either yeah. th- either a human with a fucking ladder made this. Either and a his witch. Buddy, a witch or a fucking Bigfoot, right? So now you're yeah. like into like, there's only two things that could have made this, you know? This thing was so big, okay? It, the the main centerpiece and all the tree structures that I've seen coming out of uh, Washington State, BC, there's always one dominant kind of piece that is almost like that backbone uh, of a spine almost um, that kind of runs through this thing. And the size of this freaking log that was running through the top of this thing across, I mean, there's no way that you can really do it by yourself. You know, like if, if you're trying to do this thing and that it would just take something very strong to kind of put this whole thing together and the way things were intertwined and where it was located was the other factor that really stood out to me because this thing was high up on a ridge line. It was on like a shelf. And if you like kind of came to the edge of that shelf, you had a great visual looking down, you could see and directly above. So it was kind of like in this little hidden pocket where this thing was placed. And it was pretty amazing for us to come across this as well as for Maria to be the one that was like, uh, Ronnie, I think I found what we've been looking for this whole time. Yeah. Jeez. You know, does it, Michael, I think it, it sort of feels like to me, like Bigfoot sigil magic. Great. Love it. Do yeah. you know what I mean? It's sure. almost like, I don't know. There's something to the idea that, I don't know. When you see the structures of these things, you're like, what is the purpose behind well, this? Well, I could what? see that, it, you know, if we're dealing with intelligent creatures here that, you know, I think most of us agree that's what's going on, um, that they're – there are obviously they're able to create their own signposts, their own symbols, their own markings in order to communicate with one another and maybe uh, display some sort of symbology to the outer world as well. You know what I mean? So it may look really witchy and sort of folk magic-y and it may not be that. It may just be uh, symbols or, uh, you know, that are rep- represent some type of visual language for them, you know? Yeah. It, it okay. would be interesting too to think, you know, what if these, you know, we're we're talking about portals earlier in the episode, and what if this is like an archaic way to kind of almost create a portal? You know, you hear about um, uh, Alistair Crowley, 
using yeah. a sword, using a sword and making these um, these symbols in the air to open up a portal. Mm-hmm. So so why couldn't something like you know, I don't know, Bigfoot has these abilities to do something. These things can kind of create this little kind of opening because uh, there's always the talk of elementals and stuff being uh, close by in the same areas that Bigfoot is, and there's also the idea is Bigfoot an elemental, the ability to change into a ball of light, like a shaman and all this stuff. Well, that's a great point. And they would use their natural environment to help, you know, at least mark those things, if not represent those, or those actually spots. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or, or literally use like, Hey, part of the, part of the way I open up a portal is I wave a giant, yeah, tree branch or tree in the air. Who who the fuck knows? But okay, I love that. Now I'm seeing a scene for our Bigfoot country song where Bigfoot's in the diner in the morning. He's getting his breakfast. He looks at his watch. He's late for work, and he uses his coffee stirrers to make a portal uh, to oh, get to work on time. How about his I like it. I love it. Speaking <laughs> of getting uh, being late for work, we have to take a break and come back with a story uh, for high strangeness tailor made. For Ronnie. So uh, stick with us. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, we are back and it's time for this week's story of high strangeness. Uh, By the way, I'm so excited uh, to see the rest of this season of Expedition Bigfoot. And if if you're listening to this and haven't joined the Patreon, uh, subscribe at patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club. And we'll talk more in-depthly this week uh, about episode four and every other episode that's happening this season. We're having a lot of fun talking to, to Bryce about it. Oh, man, it's a blast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Okay, so for this week... I uh, found a story in a a book that um, I'm pulling up my, where is, oh, here we go. Um, this story comes from the book, The Locals. I'm sure you're familiar with this, Tom Ronnie. Yeah. That's right, by Tom Powell. My mother gave me this book uh, a few years back after visiting Northern California. So I wanted to say, thanks, mom. Um, now, do you know Tom Powell personally? Have you met him? I don't. I've been a fan of his his work, and I would love to meet him. Yeah, yeah. Little background on Tom Powell: he was a longtime uh, BFRO researcher, uh, but he started getting a little disheartened and dismayed when all the Bigfoot reports that had some high strangeness surrounded it and ended up in the trash bin. And mm-hmm. and he decided to start picking through a few of those and uh, investigating some of those on his own. 
Well, that's what's really cool about this book. It has some of that stuff in it. Um, I think reading uh, "Where the Footprints End" by last, you know, by last week's guest uh, Tim and Josh, they mentioned this book in that book, and it made me want to go back and check it out. And mm. it's got some great Bigfoot encounter stories in it. So this is a story that I lifted directly from the locals. Um, and uh, this book was published in two thousand two or three. This story takes place in 2001 and was told to Tom Powell by the witness, Rocky Bounds, an elk hunter from Oregon. Great. This is the Rocky Bounds Bigfoot Encounter. Now, sometime prior to the events of this story, Rocky Bounds was driving down Highway 18 along the Oregon coast when he witnessed a huge, hulking Bigfoot creature gracefully zip across his headlight beams at night. Seeing that Rocky was from Oregon, the concept of Bigfoot was nothing new to him, but this was the first time he'd actually seen anything. He began to wonder if the Bigfoot legend was true and began to understand why his buddy, who lived in the woods, always carried a gun when leaving the house after dark. In the fall of 2001, Rocky was out elk hunting on a private tim- in private timberlands in Oregon's coastal range when he encountered a checklist of Class B Bigfoot evidence that would not be uncommon on, oh, say a show like Expedition Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Um, Ronnie and Bryce, do you guys want to remind our listeners what Class B evidence consists of? Sure. Basically, anything outside of a, a, of a sighting, right? So knocks, uh, rocks being thrown at you vocalizations uh footprints hair anything outside of a direct beautiful hair uh so yeah class b anything outside of a direct eye-to-eye contact hoops and haulers yeah sure so armed with his trusty bow rocky was tracking elk down an old logging road when he came across uh, alder saplings two to three inches in diameter that had been twisted and broken the plant still green with life at a height at about eight feet up the trunk so there was no signs of chain or cable damage these things were twisted as well as broken as if something with two giant hands had wrenched these uh, saplings and then broken them so they're not dead trees either Not much further along his venture, Rocky came across a bed of ferns and fir branches, which he might have chalked up to a bear. But curiously, there were stones placed around the bed in uh, a circle design, almost defining the edges. And the fir branches seemed to have been hauled in from some other area. But it was possible another hunter could have done this, so he shrugged it off and moved on. Further down his trek, Rocky began to hear sounds in the thick trees that made him feel like he was being stalked. So exactly what Ronnie was talking about earlier. Behind him, a tree collapsed in the road, followed by a loud screaming sound. His fear beginning to rise, Rocky came across a second twisted off tree near a large footprint embedded in the earth. The size of the track was 14 inches long and 7 inches wide. Now, if this were a TV show, this might be the perfect point for a cliffhanger. But Rocky's discovery was complemented by another discovery, that being a large pile of fresh scat that Rocky described as smelling horrible. Mm. Okay, cut to commercial. 
Hoping he might be able to snag some DNA samples, he freed the sandwich he'd been he had packed from its cellophane baggie and grabbed a bit of a stool sample. And no sooner than the dookie had been bagged, Rocky started hearing wood knocking coming from the forest. Quiet at first, but getting louder. Grabbing his bow, Rocky knocked against a tree trunk and for 20 minutes seemed to converse with whatever was out in the woods. I just have to say real quick, if you're taking note of all our BJ and the Shadow Bath songs, uh, maybe you may want to write down Bagged Dookie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Bagged Dookie. Dookie Bag. Dookie uh, bag. <laughs> so after he had been knocking against the tree and conversing, getting answers back uh, for about 20 minutes, he decided, eh, I've had enough. I'm getting freaked out. And he takes off. So Rocky recounted this story to researcher Tom Powell, who kept his belief at bay, yet treated Rocky's story with open-mindedness. Powell suggested Rocky bring a bag of apples back into the woods and make an offering to see if he could coax one of the unseen creatures out into the open. However, he told Rocky to keep a few things in mind. One, a Sasquatch wasn't dangerous unless Rocky fired at it. He could take his bow with him back to the woods, seeing as he had it with him during his original encounter, but he did not recommend using it. Two, Rocky shouldn't try to trick a Sasquatch. They're smart. Don't think that sprinkling some fresh dirt around the apples will get a footprint. They'll belly crawl through the dirt to the apples just to keep out of sight and prevent you from getting the evidence that you want. And then three, Powell told Rocky... No matter what happens, if you see a Sasquatch, don't take your eyes off of it for a second. It will vanish. Wow. So, keeping this in mind, Rocky went back into the woods, and the next day, armed with his bow and an old-school Kodak instant camera, the only kind of camera he had, he went for it. Now, what allegedly happened to Rocky was nothing short of wild Rocky got back out into the woods at dawn, laid a pile of apples in an open area beneath some power lines. He circled the area and then laid in wait. About a half hour later, Rocky saw a hairy creature belly crawling out of the woods towards the apple a few hundred yards away. He couldn't believe his eyes. Powell had been right. Now, he just had to get closer to snap a picture and keep an eye on the creature at all costs. That task would prove to be impossible. Hmm. I'm going to read you uh, to you guys from the locals. This is Rocky recounting this encounter. So with my camera in one hand and my bow in the other hand, I started to creep closer to the thing on the ground. Now, I could definitely see it moving, and it was definitely doing a belly crawl towards the fruit. Then... It happened. I hear this loud screaming going on behind me. But I remember what Tom said. I didn't take my eyes off that guy on the ground. Because I remembered, he's talking to Tom, what you said, that they would try to distract me. Now, this thing behind me was making quite a racket. For all I knew, it was doing jumping jacks back there. But I didn't turn around. So I'm getting closer to this thing doing the belly crawl, but still too far away to get a good picture. All of a sudden, I hear something else start screaming and howling behind me. But this one was behind me on my other side. It was definitely a second one. 
So now I have two of these things screaming their heads at, off behind me. It was all I could do not to turn around. But I just kept my eyes on the one ahead of me on the ground. I was still too far away to get a picture, so I kept moving toward it. Meanwhile, these two things behind me are still going nuts. But then, he stepped out of the bushes. Yeah, he. And he was huge. Must have been eight feet tall. Easy. Maybe nine. He was huge. He was mad. And he was close. Thirty feet away. Maybe less. There's no way I couldn't look at this one. He was screaming and waving his arms. So, I start to raise the camera to my eye. And as soon as I do, I get this message. It wasn't spoken to me. But it was loud, and it was clear, and it said, if you take that picture, I'll kill you. So, yeah. Dave's not forget- fucking around. Yeah. In, <laughs> in the middle of this, Rocky had uh, glanced back at the first one because he remembered, oh, shit, I took my eyes off the, the, the one belly crawling. And, of course, he, see- he sees it running back to the trees. So... You know, he's sitting there thinking he's going to wet his pants. He raises the camera to the big guy and uh, and he gets that message. So uh, (laughs) he says, uh, he goes on, he says, it looked me right in the eyes and I began to raise the camera. And at that exact moment, I knew I'd better not. It's like he was warning me not to by sending me some kind of mental message. I don't know how to explain it, but it just stopped me cold. I knew it knew that I was about to do what I was about to do, and it just wasn't going to let me take that picture. No way. So uh, he he glances back and sees the first creature disappearing into the tree line. And then when he turns to look back at Big Papa, Big Papa's gone. So just like Powell said, if you take your eyes off these things, they're going to move. So he decided, okay, I've had enough. <laughs> I've seen enough. And he goes home. Uh, and in spite of his fear, uh, he, ca- he calls Tom Powell, tells him what happened. Uh, and Powell says, take me back. I want to go back to the spot where you saw these things. So in spite of his fear, Rocky brought Powell out to the area the next day. The apples were gone, and Powell could see the tall tree breaks and the decomposing scat, but no prints, no screams, and no Bigfoot. Rocky was disappointed that he couldn't provide any hard evidence. But Powell told him, Bryce, if you'll read from page 140. Yeah. Hey, it's better that you didn't. If you had marched me out into the woods and we'd both seen a furry two-legged animal running for the trees, I would have suspected that it was all staged for my benefit. We saw about as much as I expected to see, which is not much. But that's better because I know that Bigfoots don't hang around for researchers like me to take video of with their camcorders. You did just fine, Rocky. I appreciate the time you spent showing me around your favorite hunting spot. End quote. And that's the story of the Rocky Bounce Bigfoot encounter. It's fucking crazy. And it's great. I mean, it's funny because having prepared this, I feel like uh, Ronnie was telling us stuff in the first half of the show that really, I mean, it feels like these, these creatures were trying to corral him, uh, coordinate. Yeah. yeah. And 
you know, when I hear a story like this, I'm like, okay. And, and Powell really, you know, he, you know, I think he kept his judgment. Like, look, I can't, I can't believe everything I hear, but this story really rang true to me. And I believe that he had this encounter, you know? Um, I mean, why it takes me back to what we're talking about. Why do some people get this, (laughs) you know, and then the rest of us never see anything. I know that's incredible for him to have, you know, to see one, but then to see another, like that would be incredible to be in that, (laughs) that spot at that time. Um, but I'm sure that's terrifying to, you know, be hearing these things screaming at you, knowing that they could tear you apart if they want you in a second. And telling them that, I was like, geez, let's get right to the point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think this guy was looking to ever see Bigfoot, right? This is just a matter of being at the, the wrong place at the right time. And, and yeah, you yeah. know, so it's just, who knows? Well, and that's the guess. thing that he talks about. He was like, he, yeah, he'd been from Oregon. He'd heard the stories. He never really believed it. And then he saw something run across the, his car at night and went, huh? And then, but wasn't thinking about it when he went out elk hunting that first day. And, you know, even when he's seeing the the bed in the tree branches, he's going, well, this is weird, but he's not necessarily jumping to Bigfoot, you yeah, know? Connection. Yeah. yeah. And it's not until he's seeing the scat and the footprint and hearing the sounds that he's like, wait a minute, maybe this is a Bigfoot. Um, and sidebar, I also I, I, I use the term Sasquatch when describing those rules. I don't think Tom Powell really uses that word. I think he tends to use Bigfoot. And he talks about in this book that there's we just don't have a good name for these creatures, yeah. you know, that all of them sort of fall short. So he uses the lowercase term Bigfoot um, because he's like, it's not Santa Claus. It's not capital B Bigfoot. They're in They're a species. Right, right. Um, yeah. That's but, a good uh, They're interchangeable. They both work. Um, yeah, but um, it's just a, this is one of those really fun stories of high strangeness, cool, just eyewitness encounter story that, um, you know, just the idea of seeing this giant, you know, bull, Bigfoot, like that close, just it must be terrifying. Okay. And there is a thing where he describes, as, as you talk about on Expedition Bigfoot, you know, he said he was overwhelmed with this sense of fear and he kept saying he thought he was going to piss his pants. Mm-hmm. And I started to think, well, that kind of sounds like the infrasound stuff yeah, that you man. guys have touched upon on the show. Yeah. Same thing. Same exact thing. Yep. I mean, if you see a like a tiger up close and personal out in their environment in the wild and they do that low, low rumble, which is below 20 hertz. I mean, you're going to you're what's going to kick in is fight or flight. And and usually when those combined, you just stand there and shit your pants. <laughs> That's science. Ronnie, have you ever shit your pants in the woods? That's science. Don't stop reading, Jim. Right, oh. if, but it is like it's like a mix of the two. You're not gonna, you're not gonna, you're not gonna fight the tiger. You're not gonna run from the tiger. You don't know what to do. Your body shuts down. You just go, you know, and you're just like overwhelmed with with fear. I really hope we have a scene of you pissing your pants this season, Bryce. I'll see what I can do. Yeah, see what you can whip up. Uh, Ronnie, what do you think? I mean, when you hear a story like this, do you go, eh, bullshit, or "Eh, I believe it? Well, I guess, you know, when he's describing, he's hearing these growls behind him, and they're screaming at him, and he's still not turning around. I I probably would be, like, kind of glancing back and forth very quickly. But, um... No, I mean, the fact that uh, he starts describing things where initially just having that thing run across the road, 
and then stuff starts kind of happening as he's out in the woods and they seem to be in tune with hunters you know in the, in the sense that they don't want them on their hunting grounds taking mm. their food and that seems to come into play a lot where hunters uh especially ones out here have had similar kind of aggressive uh, experiences whether they've had you know rocks thrown at them or uh, just really terrify them enough that they don't want to go back uh, in the woods again or even hunt anymore right. because some, something just so insane happened to them. I mean, who better to see them than hunters, right? I mean, these guys yeah. are out on their own. They're in alone. They're in the middle of the woods. Uh, you and know, oftentimes they're, they're masking their scent with deer scent and everything else. And that kind of gives them an upper edge where Bigfoot can, you know, uh, can smell you. Hunters seem to be able to get away with that. Perfect person to fuck with. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that wraps up another episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club. Ronnie, it's so exciting to have you back. We're so excited uh, uh, for season two of Expedition Bigfoot. Um, you know, we don't know where we can find Bigfoot, but where can our listeners find your work? Sure. Uh, so my website, RonnieLeBlanc.com, R-O-N-N-Y. Uh, the books, uh, Monsland 1 and 2, can be found on Amazon. And we have a podcast with Maddie Blake, which is on pod617.com. Fantastic. And you can find us uh, Instagram at Bigfoot Collectors Club, on Twitter at Bigfoot Pod. Uh, boys, is there anything that you guys would like to plug before we say goodnight? No, you know, I just our uh, Patreon, the other side, is uh, what I'd like to plug because um, we've really been putting a lot into it this month, and especially doing the recaps of the show and everything. And it just—it's more than just like DVD bonus features. It's like a whole other show. So yeah. if you're into this, I really think you'd be into that. And it's five bucks a month. Check it out. Yeah, and that's why it's aptly named the other side. It really is the other side to our podcast. Listen, I'll plug uh, our show, season two of Expedition Bigfoot, airing yeah. exclusively on Discovery Plus every Sunday night 12 entire episodes of just incredible activity and evidence don't miss it guys what 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 what's any little teases you can have about what's coming up this season anything you can tease uh let's let's just say that uh Maria has an experience she just cannot explain Mm -hmm. awesome all right well we'll be talking more about Expedition Bigfoot here on uh, on BCC and then also on the other side all season long uh do us a favor guys go to uh apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review if you do we will read it here on the show like this one from our trusty listener will bailey also a patreon member thanks will he writes amazing five stars great podcast great mixture of scary and funny they also really care about their listeners great guys and great listening give it a chance well i mean that's a glowing review thank Love you that. will. Thank you're you. a great listener and supporter of Bigfoot Collectors Club. All right, everybody. Thanks again to Ronnie LeBlanc. We'll be back next week. Until then, good night. And go get regress. Oh, podcast. Ronnie, that was awesome. Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray. Our theme song is Come Alone by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the podcast to more listeners. To support the show, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Bigfoot Collectors Club and unlock multiple reward episodes every month.
Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.